So I have this friend who is a TV producer. He'd worked for some time for various networks. And I met him on a TV show that I ended up directing for a short time. And he had a saying. He, he has a saying that he, he repeats a lot. And that's, I'd rather tame a wild horse than motivate a mule. And I never, really, I never really thought much about it until yesterday because, you know, you're always in your, in your head and I'm certainly always in my head. And when people say things, you know, this is like, okay, I kind of see what you're saying. But at the same time, I'm, I'm in my head and I'm not really thinking too much about it. But I always remember it. And I don't know why I always remember it, uh, the things that are said. Uh, until they become really, really relevant. I'm like, oh, that's the seed. It, it, it was seeded and saved because it is relevant. I'm just not thinking about why it's relevant right now. So here's the thing. That saying is really, really relevant to me. And I'm going to tell you why. So yesterday, I started going through a lot of my archives uh, and kind of organizing them, a lot of my old scripts and stories and work in general, I started uh, binding them in these uh, three-ring binders and labeling them and really just kind of creating an accessible archive of all of my old work, which is really important to me because I tend to not produce a lot of the scripts I write, but I mine them later down the road for, for uh, the creation of better scripts that then get produced. And so... One of the things that I'm really into that I thought was something new, and it turns out is not. And that's the, the, there, there are two components of sort of how I think about creation. The first, first one is sort of the philosophizing where art falls in society and the importance to, of art to society and culture. And then the second is the importance of art in bringing community together. Now, a lot of the basic sort of interpretations of that is, well, you go to an art show or you go to a movie theater with people and you experience art together. That's the easiest way to, to think about it. But for me, I, I'm really into the idea of community creating art together. And so as a filmmaker... I, I, I'm really constantly pushing for community to participate in some of the projects that I sort of have on my bucket list. Uh, and so one of, the, one of the things that happened recently is uh, I had the 20th anniversary of a short film I made in 2002 is coming up in 2022. And so I ended up restoring that film with the idea that me and everybody else who was involved would get together, return to my hometown, and make a sequel. And then in August of 2022, on the 20th anniversary of our initial community screening, we would screen the restored version of the original movie and then present our sequel. The problem is, it's even though I've got one or two people kind of on board uh, one definitely confirmed, the other one sort of pseudo-confirmed, and then everybody else is just not interested or they've sort of had life experiences over the past 20 years that disenchanted them to really want to be out there. And so 
this really great idea, uh, this really fun idea might not happen because just people aren't, aren't into it. And that's, that's sad for me. And as I was going through all of my old writings yesterday, I found a lot of my notes, a lot of my personal essays and poems and screenplays, unproduced screenplays, as well as some of my produced uh, short film screenplays. And I realized I was always into this idea, even back before I realized I was into this idea. I, I remember uh, I, I pulled this screenplay for really one of my first short films, The Chaste Prophecy, where I actually begin the screenplay with a proposal to one of my high school teachers. You see, I started making films in high school with school equipment, and in order to take that equipment out for the weekend, I had to submit a proposal. And uh, just to give you an idea of the ch what the proposal for The Chase Prophecy was, uh, by the way, The Chase Prophecy is a, a short film that I'm also in the process of restoring. Uh, we're past the 20th anniversary for that, obviously, because uh, it was done in 1998 slash 1999, and it's already 2020. But the thing is, is I, I'm really into restoration and archiving and just kind of seeing the breadth of a work over time. And uh, yeah, so the Chase Prophecy became important to me because as I, as I found and digitized the raw footage, there was so much in it that pertained to just kind of look, seeing, hearing, and feeling what my hometown felt like in the late 90s. And honestly, like, I, I don't know where to find any content like that because I was the only one on the island at that time that was shooting. I'm from an island, and there aren't, there's not a lot that, that goes on there. And so I was the one with the camera. I was the one that was shooting with the camera. And so it, it, it became incredibly important to me to archive as much as I, I was able to find, you know? So the proposal for that film read like this. Remember, remember I was in high school. I plan to make an experimental motion picture that shows the absurdity of two intellectuals talking on and on about the merits of art, while at the same time, I will put images of everyday life on the screen. As the plot thickens into the audience wondering, I don't know what that means, as the plot thickens into the audience wondering who the hell these people are, I want to work to also provoke the question, does art imitate life? Or does, or the question, does life imitate art? And to show that there is more to art than what meets the eye. So then under proposal, I have a reason. I had to provide a reason for this proposal. I am making this motion picture for two reasons. To get people to think about the creative and extremely difficult process of artwork rather than the ten technique used. I want the people to explore their own creativity and imagination by listening to these two beings talk on and on about art. So that film, by the way, uh, I had to be silenced because I used a lot of music I didn't actually have the rights to back then. And there's, an, there's a silent extract that you can see on my YouTube channel. Search for me on YouTube, Eric Norcross Cinema. And it's the Chase Prophecy clip, one of one. 
because it's a short film, I only included like one black and white, the black and white portion of the film, I, I included that as the snippet that you get to see. So, you know, I, I, I try not to get disenchanted by the fact that all these really cool community-oriented production ideas uh, don't don't come through, no matter how good they are in my head, no matter how well I know I've conveyed them to others. The problem is people are stuck in their in the monotony of their lives. You know, I made a conscious effort to move out to go to New York and to constantly grow. I chose a life of perpetual learning. They call it lifelong learning, and that's really important to me. Uh, and I, I, I do I, I do fight really hard against allowing their disenchantment to seep into me because it you know the ability to keep you stuck by their lack of motivation is stronger than your ability to be motivated. So the ability uh, I'm trying to figure out how to say this so. The, the 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 image I have in in my head is the swamps of sadness from the never-ending story so let's see here if I can find the phrasing while thinking about the swamps of sadness right because there's a depressive element to it the ability to keep you stuck in their lack of motivation no the ability to keep you stuck by their lack of motivation is stronger than your ability to motivate them with your energy. So no matter how much energy you're putting out there to try and motivate them, that's never going to be as strong as their ability to bring you down by their disinterest or their disenchantment with the world. Depression is a powerful force. Oppression is a powerful force. Monotony, the day-to-day -day life that, that brings people down who haven't adopted this lifelong learning philosophy, that is so powerful. And you can't you can't waste your energy trying to motivate them. All you can do, present them with the idea, check in occasionally, and if it works out, it works out great. If it doesn't, that's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not my fault either. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. You're the one that wants to do this, not them. I'm the one that wants to do this, not them. So, today, I have a special treat. I am going to spend the rest of this podcast reading a, an unproduced screenplay that I wrote in 1999 while I was still in high school. I wrote it as a feature, though it's really short and it doesn't read at the length of a feature, so don't worry about that. <laughs> and um, it was meant to be one of those things that was produced by everyone I know as a community effort. So this screenplay is called The Alternative. It is meant to be a, a very serious slasher movie. And, and I wrote it um, between my junior and senior year of high school. Everyone in it is based on somebody uh, I knew from my hometown, mainly the people I worked with at a restaurant. It's now a defunct restaurant called The Spar. It's been replaced by condos. But back then, I worked in the kitchen. And everybody 
I worked with is a character in this. I either use their first names or I use their middle names. <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll try to provide some, context, some contextual information and, and commentary along the way just to kind of keep it accessible. But just to paint a picture of this, I grew up on a small island off the coast of Maine. That island was incredibly uh, limited in sort of the opportunities that it provided. It wasn't diverse at all. We were all white, Caucasian, Christian-leaning, even the, the non-religious practicing people identified Christianity as the primary belief structure, which I think is common in a lot of small towns in the United States. To get to this island, uh, you, gotta, you, had, you have to take a ferry from Portland, Maine. It takes 45 minutes each way. And uh, if you're on the island, you're on the island for the day. That's just the nature of it. And uh, in the summers, I would work in the kitchen of the restaurant. And this screenplay was written probably... Oh, it says it right here. I finished it March 13th, 1999. So I had probably worked the summer of 1998. That was my first summer. And going into my second summer, uh, the, I, if I remember correctly, the intent was to go into my second summer with the script and say, hey, in addition to working, we should also make this film so that by the end of the summer, I could go into my senior year of high school with a feature film. That, of course, didn't work out because as... The great Steve says, "You cannot. Uh, uh, it's it's easier to tame a wild horse than to motivate a mule. And when you have people who, where this isn't their life ambition, this you know to create art, this is it's less likely to work out. And so, I did end up making a feature film my senior year. It was called Sixteen Stories." Uh, I think that's for another podcast, though, because I did end up making it, but I ended up making it across the entire senior year, and I ended up having to lean on the fact that it was a quote-unquote student film, not a quote-unquote independent film, in order to get people to kind of jump on board. Oh, it's because it's like, you know, got to help him with his homework, that kind of thing, even though I personally look at it as an independent film and not a student film. But that that's a whole conversation for another podcast anyway i want to get to reading the alternative keep in mind i was in between my my junior and senior year of high school uh while writing it and uh, also i hadn't really written a, a screenplay before in full length and I hadn't done a lot of writing. I mean, I, I've always done writing, but I've never really focused on language until, you know, the latter half of my life. And so you're going to see, you're going to hear my grammar not be so hot. And and my grammar just generally is real shit anyway. But in, in this particular case, uh, I'd say just try to try to enjoy what this teenage boy was trying to do and making a serious slasher movie with people that he knew uh, in the hopes that they would help him make this movie. And by the way, I, I kind of skimmed through it last night to see if I wanted to do this, and, and 
as like a podcast. And not only am I excited about reading this to you, if you decide you want to see this movie made, you let me know. Uh, I, I want to figure out how to do this because obviously I'm not going to do it with the people that I wrote it for, but I would, I would, if I would produce this movie as is in all of its beautiful amateur form, if enough people could contribute to the budget and make it happen. But before, before we get into that, let's get into the story. The Alternative by Eric Norcross, March 13th, 1999. Faden, exterior, overview of the town, day. The camera fast zooms on the spa restaurant. The camera holds on the image for a few seconds, then fast zooms to a shot of the town's store. The camera holds on that for a few seconds, then slowly zooms out to a wide overview again. The camera zooms back in on the town, but pans across to the high school and fast zooms on the high school. There is the sound of the school bell, school's bell ringing. And the students who are hanging out in the schoolyard rush inside. As the last person rushes in, trying not to miss any class, any class time. Sorry, this is a terrible sentence. As the students, as the last person rushes in, trying to, not to miss any class time, the words appear in white letters at the bottom of the screen. Futuristic backdrop of the town of Long Island, Maine. Dissolve. Interior. Girls' powder room. Day. Soline. Kind of like gasoline, uh, but without the ga. So it's Soline. Enters with a makeup bag, with, with a makeup in hand. I want to say makeup bag, but I didn't write it. Soline enters with a makeup in hand. She is whistling a song. She sets the bag of makeup on the counter and opens it. She looks in the mirror a few times and starts taking out several different kinds of lipstick and makeup type stuff. In the mirror, she notices a stall door open behind her. A person wearing a hooded cloak is standing there looking at her while, we, while he holds a lit lantern in his right hand. We are unable to see his face. Side note, by the way, um, this image of the killer is 100% taken from the image of the cloaked lantern guy from the Led Zeppelin artwork. If you're into Led Zeppelin or classic rock, you probably know this image. Because um, I was really into the film that they had made. I forget the name of it by this point, but I love that image of the cloaked man holding the lantern. And so that became the image of the killer. Celine, what are you doing? Don't you know that it's like May? It's not like October. You need help, girl. The person in the cloak walks towards her. Celine, getting nervous. What are you doing? <laughs> I'm sorry I'm putting on the Valley Girl voice. I just... No. The, the person comes closer. Celine, what are you doing? Who are you? <laughs> Who are you? Stop. So Celine turns around. Then the person in the cloak lifts back 
the lower part of the cloak and pulls out a sword. <laughs> Celine, oh no, oh shit. The person raises the sword above his or her head and comes down diagonal on Celine. The sword slices through her f from the right shoulder to her left thigh. Blood splatters on the mirror and the killer vanishes. Celine falls to the floor. Title page. The alternative. Interior classroom day. The teacher is writing on a white mark marker board. If you hear banging, there are these douchebag uh, construction workers next door who have been disruptive over the entire course of the pandemic because they're not supposed to be doing construction during lockdown, which is what's happened now. And it's really, really irritating. And I'm sorry. Teacher. And so could someone tell me their outlook on the Great Depression? How about you, Ezra? Ezra, sitting at a desk fiddling with a pen. It was depressing. The class chuckles. Uh, side note, I stole that from Full House. Teacher, I'm sure that there is no doubt in all of our minds that it was depressing. However, that is just not the answer that I or the rest of your classmates were looking for. The bell suddenly rings. Sting. Added this thing. <laughs> Teacher, please don't forget to study for your final exams Monday. Your life, your lives depend on it. Have a nice weekend. The class leaves the room. Teacher, thanks. I will too. Cut too. Oh, I guess because the class didn't even fucking acknowledge him and he's just like taking it personally. Come on, man. Don't take it personally. Interior corridor day. Ezra is walking down the corridor and meets Mills on his way to his next class. Ezra, hey Mills, what's happening? Teacher. And so, could someone tell me their outlook on the Great Depression? How about you, Ezra? Ezra, sitting at a desk fiddling with a pen. It was depressing. The class chuckles. Uh, side note, I stole that from Full House. Teacher. I'm sure that there is no doubt in all of our minds that it was depressing. However, that is just not the answer that I or the rest of your classmates were looking for. The bell suddenly rings. Sting. I added this thing. Teacher, please don't forget to study for your final exams Monday. Your life, your lives depend on it. Have a nice weekend. The class leaves the room. Teacher. Thanks, I will too. Cut too. Oh, I guess because the class didn't even fucking acknowledge him and he's just like taking it personally. Come on, man, don't take it personally. Interior corridor day. Ezra is walking down the corridor and meets Mills on his way to his next class. Ezra, hey Mills, what's happening? Mills, I just heard a fucking awesome story. You want to hear it? Ezra, sure, what kind is it? Mills, scary. Ezra, I bet it sucks. Mills, it'll make you ponder about the supernatural. Ezra, is that all? Mills, no, it'll make you paranoid. Ezra, yeah, whatever, just fucking say it. Mills, well, you know Catherine's cousin, Wesley? Ezra, the dreaded Wesley? <sighs> Mills, yes, that son of a bitch. Ezra, I've heard of him. 
but I've never at all met him. I heard he's fucking. I heard I. <laughs> I heard he's fucked up on drugs. <laughs> Mills, he is. I haven't really met him either. Well, dot dot dot. Ezra, well, that's a deep subject. Oh, come on, Eric. Well, that's a deep subject. Mills, shut the fuck up, you prick. I want to tell you a fucking story. Ezra, sorry, go for it. Ezra. Oh, that's a deep subject. Mills, shut the fuck up, you prick. I want to tell you a fucking story. Ezra, sorry, go for it. Mills. Anyway, one night, Wesley was stoned, you know, as usual. <laughs> And he was looking in the mirror while taking a leak, and he thought, I have to take a picture of this. I'm serious now. That's how he thinks. So he's looking all over his room for it. This fucking hammering is getting on my nerves. He was looking, he was looking in the mirror while taking a leak, and he thought, I have to take a picture of this. I'm serious now. That's how he thinks. So he's looking all over his room for it, but he couldn't find it anywhere. He went outside to ask his brother if he had seen it, but his brother hadn't. When he went back inside to get some some more hash, uh, when he went back inside to get some more hash, he found the camera laying on his bed. But that's not the weird part. He thought he might have just overlooked it. He saw that that the pages were used up and wondered who could have used them. What's so fucked up about that, says Ezra. Mills, just fucking wait. Later, when he got the pictures developed, the pictures were of him looking for the camera. They were taken from under the bed. Dude, there is only an inch between the floor and the bed. It's pretty fucked up, huh? Ezra, not really. Why are the cops here? How that okay, side note. How the hell does Ezra not find that fucked up? Think about it. This guy goes looking for his camera, can't find it, and then he comes back later. The camera's on his bed, and inside are pictures taken from under the bed of him looking for the camera, but there's no space under the bed for anyone, let alone the camera itself, because there's only one inch. That is creepy as balls. Uh, anyway. Francis. I know who that's based on. Francis runs up in between Ezra and Mills. Francis, hey dudes, what's up? Mills, what do you want, Francis? Francis, please call me Frankie. <laughs> Ezra, no, Francis. Mills, now what do you want? Francis, well, fuck you too. Maybe I shouldn't tell you. Ezra, just get on it. On with it, Francis. Francis, it refers to why the pigs are here. Mills. Okay, Frankie, why the fuck are the pigs here? So, this is a side note. Uh, I know I'm a bad writer back then because I never even established that the police were there. Anyway, we just kind of went into it with dialogue. So, if you think about it, I wasn't even writing background to say, hey, there are police all over the place and they're completely ignoring them and not talking about them and not wondering about them, which is not realistic. The, if the police swarmed to a school... Students would be talking about that exclusively and not Wesley's uh, uh, sort of creepy camera thing. Anyway. <sighs> they see a covered body being taken out of the ladies' room with a stretcher. 
Ezra, who the fuck is that? Francis, Celine Vane, you know the dits. <laughs> Celine Vane, you know the dits. She was found dead in the bathroom. Ezra, not real. Not real. Oh, yeah, not real. That was like a saying I tried to make popular back then. Non real. So here's how it sounds. Del and I guess in my head when it was how I would have wanted it delivered. Francis, Celine Vane, you know, the ditch. She was found dead in the bathroom. Non real. <laughs> sounds like a Bill and Ted thing. Mills, how did she get, how, how did she croak? Francis, someone took a blade and sliced it across her chest. She must have rejected somebody. <laughs> you know the Islanders these days. <laughs> oh my God, that's so annoying. Uh, Ezra, yes, Francis, that's that's real bright. Mills, wow, Francis, yes, I know. Isn't it awesome? <laughs> These guys are sociopaths. Alright, I just got a uh, I got a buzz. I always get like LinkedIn connect connection requests from like financial hucksters. It's really annoying. Um, dissolve to exterior school on day. Ezra Mills Francis Lisa and Joanna sit under a tree in the shade while eating lunch Ezra so so what are all you your guesses on why some fuckhead would slice her tits off <laughs> he sliced her tits off what the fuck Francis because Celine was a ditzy trendy slut you know her style just like all the other skanks at this fucking school <laughs> Wear the bell-bottom jeans and attempt to fuck every football player in school because she knew that she had, that they have no brains. Ezra, we don't have any sports at this high school. Mills, we do have athletes. Francis, yeah, so ha. She is a slut. I knew it. Lisa, shut the fuck up, Francis. Francis, well, Lisa, I guess the killer and I have a real true style. <laughs> You must consider it an art, as I do. Ezra, don't you think that's enough of shitting on a dead bitch? <laughs> oh my god. Joanna, Ezra's right. This is not something to fuck around about. Ezra, thanks, Joanna. Mills, oh, thank you, Joanna. <laughs> Francis, I'm surprised I haven't suspended school yet. <laughs> oh yeah. Someone was just murdered, and they're still taking classes. <laughs> Mills. <laughs> oh my God, Mills. There's some, some good that can come out of this. After all, Joanna, <laughs> they will. You won't have to go tomorrow, Mills. How do you know, Joanna? A hunch that us women have, right, Lisa? <laughs> so apparently females have a superpower to predict whether school will be closed the next day. <laughs>
Lisa, that's right. How do you think we know that all you guys want is sex? <laughs> Ezra, tomorrow's Saturday. Joanna, that too. Mills, you bitch. Francis, ha, she tricked you. Joanna, don't be so immature, Frankie, or I won't date you anymore. Francis, you know that's bullshit. Joanna, is it bullshit? Or no, it is bullshit. So, you know that's bullshit, Joanna. It is bullshit. Francis, oh, thank God. By the way, the two people that those characters were based on did end up getting married. Cut to interior, Ezra's room, night. Ezra is sitting at his desk with a letter he just finished typing. Mills is sitting on the end of the bed slapping a <laughs> both the <laughs> Mills is <laughs> Mills is <laughs> sitting on the end of his bed slapping <laughs> slapping around his cat. <laughs> Ezra, okay, here we go. <laughs> Fucking sociopath. <laughs> oh my god. Ezra, here you go, reading from paper. My dear, my dearest Catherine, I have been in love with you for a long, long time. <laughs> I fantasize. <laughs> What a wonderful life we could have together. I will stop at nothing to make you mine. Please do not fear my love for you. If we cannot be lovers, then what is life really worth? Can you actually imagine being alive without the love that I can give you? Please consider what I've said real carefully. <laughs> Please consider what I've said real carefully. Oh my god. <laughs> I'll be seeing you soon. Crazily in love with you, Ezzy baby. P.S. I think you have nice shoes. <laughs> I think you have nice shoes. Oh my god. This reads like a fucking sixth grader. Whew. I'm to take some coffee now. Mills. That was really pretty. <laughs> Especially like the part about her nice shoes. Ezra, thank you, Mills. Will you deliver it? Mills, no, you do your own fucking dirty work. <laughs> I really like Mills. <laughs> He's so fucked up. <laughs> Writing a love note is dirty work. Dude, Ezra, dude, what the fuck's your problem, Mills? Is that your fucking motto? You kiss your bitch <laughs> with that mouth, you punk ass. <laughs> he doesn't have a bitch. He's trying to get one. Ezra, <laughs> if I had a bitch, then maybe my fucking mouth would be just a little bit cleaner. I would appreciate it if you got off my back about not having what you call a bitch. That's what the fuck I'm trying to accomplish here, you fucking idiot. Mills. Well, okay, sure. I don't see why not. It's on my way. Oh, uh, so he, he actually convinced him. Which in the real world is 100% impossible. You can't convince people of anything. Ezra. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Cut to exterior. On a road somewhere. Night. Uh, 
Lisa is walking home from working as a waitress at a restaurant called The Spar. This is the same restaurant that Catherine's family owns. She notices a figure standing under a light street or a street light. She stops and just looks at him for a moment. Lisa, who are you? The figure holds up a lantern and then turns to face her. Lisa, what are you doing? What is that supposed to mean? The figure starts moving towards her. Lisa, don't you dare come any closer. The figure is now standing in front of her. Lisa, I cannot see behind that hood. I guess that would be the point, huh? The figure pulls out a sword. Lisa, oh shit. What are you what are you gonna do with that? The figure raises the sword above its head. Lisa, what do you want? I'll give you anything. Do you hear me? Anything. The figure moves closer until it is just about touching her. Lisa, good fuck. <laughs> is that it? I can give it to you. Lisa oh, rips open her shirt, <laughs> shirt and rips off her bra and holds her arms out. <laughs> her tits flailing. <laughs> Lisa, do you see? Just don't touch me with that thing. The figure slices her across the chest with her sword. Lisa, <laughs> Lisa falls to the ground, dead and bleeding everywhere. The cloak killer has vanished and is <laughs> and is nowhere to be seen. Cut to interior the ki the kitchen at the spa at night. Francis and Joanna. Are the last employees left? Francis is cleaning off the grills when Joanna enters. So, I guess this killer is slicing off women's tits. That's interesting. I think there's a lot to unpack there, but we're not going to. Joanna, well, everyone has gone home. Francis, well, it's about time. He sets the tools down and takes her in his arms. Joanna, what are you doing, baby? Francis. How about this here counter? Joanna, excuse me? Francis, why not? Joanna, I'm tired and I want to go to sleep. Francis, I want to go to sleep too. Joanna, with me. Francis, so? Joanna, goodbye, blue sky. Oh man, I was obsessed with Pink Floyd too. So you got Zeppelin, and then you got a Pink Floyd reference. Goodbye, blue sky. She breaks free of his arms. Francis. Goodbye. You were wonderful tonight. Eric Clapton reference. Oh my god. So, this is a classic rock movie. Joanna, what are you talking about, Francis? Forget about it. Joanna, don't forget to punch out, Francis. Don't worry about it. Joanna, good night, sweetie. Francis, good night, my dear. This, I'm sorry, guys. This is terrible dialogue. Joanna leaves the kitchen, and Francis continues scrubbing the grills while the stereo is blasting out the strong and heavy guitarist of Jimmy Page. Cut to interior dining room at the spa at night. Joanna falls to the floor, then is being dragged outside by an off-screen figure. Cut to interior kitchen, the spa at night. Francis is just finishing cleaning up and is punching out. He turns and notices the figure in the cloak standing in the doorway. The figure raises a glowing lantern. Francis, what the fuck? The figure just stands there holding up the lantern. Francis, what is this shit, man? What's with the lantern? Oh, I get it. You're supposed to be the dude from Stairway to Heaven. You know what I'm talking about. The figure raises a sword and charges after Francis. Francis ducks. Francis ducked. But I didn't even say ducks. Francis ducked before he could 
get stabbed and the sword hits the counter top smashing into small pieces okay so the sword's out of commission uh interesting the cloaked figure throws the lit lantern at francis but francis ducks i ah, do ducks this time ducks again and the lantern lands in the friolators causing the grease to catch on fire oh that's actually a really cool scene Francis, holy shit, guy. You have issues. <laughs> and no shit. <laughs> He's a murderer. Smoke now starts filling the room. Francis now gets the balls to attack the figure. Oh, Francis now gets the balls to attack the figure and does so by running after him or her. The figure picks up Francis and throws him in a large steel container. The figure pulls a lever on the side and the valve opens, letting boiling water pour into the container okay so side note this is a uh in the kitchen of the spa there was a giant cooker to boil massive amounts of lobsters all at the same time it's from when they had lobster bakes which is really popular in maine and uh i you know you have to actually manually pour the water in to this thing and i envisioned it as it lets in boiling water already really fast which I think is better for um, a murder scene, to be honest with you. So Francis's voice gets muffled. Oh, Francis. So Francis is in, in this thing, and the boiling water's coming down on him. Steam's everywhere. Uh, Don't do this, you fucking idiot. Let me out of here. It hurts. I'll, I'll haunt you forever, you sick piece of shit. I'll haunt you forever. I like that. Francis Francis's voice gets muffled in the boiling water. The figure closes the cover. Cut to exterior out back of the restaurant night joanna is laying in a ditch asleep she slowly wakes up and looks around joanna oh what happened oh so he didn't kill her or they didn't kill her I actually know who the killer is but they didn't kill her because i can't reveal that it's a he yet it's a he she stands up and walks out of the ditch stumbling Standing in front of her now is the cloaked figure. Cut to interior of the spar day. Jeff, the daughter of Catherine and the owner of the spar, is talking with the sheriff and police officers while medics take Francis's body out to boiling out out of the boiling pot. So now Francis got boiled like a lobster, and they're removing his carcass from the machine. Sheriff, so you don't know anything about last night, Jeff? No, sheriff. I left the restaurant up to Francis and jo Joanna to close. They take turns every night, you know, so that I could spend time with the wife and my two daughters. Sheriff, you live right next door? You didn't hear anything? Jeff, no, Sheriff. Sheriff, we are going to talk with the rest of your employees and your family members about this incident. Jeff, this person seems to be hitting just the teenagers here. I recommend that you drive your employees home every night. Anyway, huh? Sorry, I'm a little confused. Uh, I think that that dialogue might have been better for the sheriff because he says, I think you recommend driving your employees home every night and don't let your daughter, Catherine, out later than nine, at least until things get kosher. So that's supposed to be for the sheriff and why he used the word kosher is... is Probably a result of me watching too many New York films. 
Uh, I'd always been obsessed with New York films, uh, so the language seeped into my brain. Jeff. Hey, whatever's clever. That was my catchphrase back then, too. Whatever's clever. Jeff. Hey, whatever's clever. Sheriff. Last thing, Jeff, is until we can dismantle this piece of shit, I don't want you to cook any more lobsters or anything in it again. Jeff looks over at the boiler. Two officers are fastening a canvas tarp over it. Jeff. Uh, yeah, sure, of course. I mean, you know, I would not want to eat a lobster in that. You know, it would have been better if he said, but I have a lobster bait tomorrow. <laughs> Man, I wish I'd thought of that. Whatever. Uh, page turn. Interior, Mills House, day. Mills is looking, uh, Mills is holding a phone in his lap while Ezra's, you know, I'm programmed to read narrative a certain way with certain expectations. I'm realizing that now because I keep missing, missing the actual words. Mills is holding a phone in his lap while Ezra sits playing solitaire on Mills' computer in the living room. Mills' telephone rings. Mills answering the phone. Hello? Split screen. Catherine on the other end. Hi, Mills. Have you seen Ezzy today? Mills. Yeah, he's right here. What do you want, Catherine? Ezra looks up wide-eyed, and then a smile develops on his face. Catherine. So what next? Does he want to kill me next or what? Or does he want to get some other bitches who rejected him before me? Mills, what? Now just wait a goddamn minute. Ezra, dude, what is it? Mills, it's Catherine. She thinks you want to kill her. Ezra, what? Mills, she thinks you're the killer. Catherine, from the sound of this letter, well, I don't want that not around me, okay? Mills, he might just have, he, he might have just worded the letter wrong. Catherine. Only an idiot could word a letter like this, like that, wrong. Mills, fuck off. I wrote most of that shit on. I wrote most of that shit on the page. Catherine. Oh, and this shit about lifetime lovers or something. What makes him think he's going to marry me? Mills. Oh, sure. You really want to know? Why don't I put it on the speakerphone and he can tell you himself? Catherine. Fine. I'll listen. Mills pushes the speaker button on the phone. Ezra, what are you talking about? Mills, just shit on marriage. Ezra steps up to the phone. Ezra, hi, Catherine. Mills, here we go. Ezra, getting married would not only be a sufficient way to arrest your freedom, however, it's an alternative way to assure the executive consumptions of pure and natural sexual activities without the consulting flaws of any kind. That could be predicted through a strong relationship. Shit, uh, strong relationship. Thus, is considered by those of enormous mind and brain power that it be tolerated as a winter coat that zippers up too far, possibly to the point of choking. However, after the steady flow of time has progressed, it is determined by the wearer of evil, oblivious objections to arrive in the near future that the choking sensation be used to. Mills claps his hands and cracks up laughing. Catherine, stay away from me. She hangs up the phone. She made the right decision. Cross zoom. The cross zoom zooms to Ezra's eyes and zooms out of Catherine's eye. Interior, Catherine's room day. Catherine is sitting on a couch with Brandy, who is Ezra's sister. Oh, I made Brandy my sister. That's really interesting. Brandy, I wouldn't worry about this letter. My brother, Ezzy, is a harmless geek. Catherine, I always thought he was a little nutty. Brandy, you are right. He is a little weird. 
but he wouldn't have hurt a fly. Cut to interior Mills kitchen day. Ezra and Mills are having a good time swatting flies around. What the fuck? Cut to <laughs> Cut to interior <laughs> They're just having fun swatting flies. What the fuck is wrong with me? Oh my god. Cut to interior Catherine's room day. Brandy and Catherine are still chatting. Catherine well, I don't know about that. There's a knock on the door, Catherine. Who is it? Megan. <gasps> Megan. Oh, my goodness. I included Megan. Entering. Will you help me beat a level on this video game? Catherine, no, can't. You see, I'm talking. Get out. Megan. Well, I made Megan the little sister of Catherine. Well, excuse me, princess shithead. <laughs> Megan slams the door. Catherine. Sorry about that. Megan can be so annoying sometimes. <laughs> Brandy. Anyway, don't worry about him. Catherine. Please don't tell him that I talked to you about this. Okay, about this letter, okay? Brandy. Sure. I'm sure I'm sure he worded it wrong. That's all. Catherine. That's what Mills said. Brandy. You see, there is nothing to worry about. Split screen. Interior classroom. Day. It is the next Monday in school. Mills enters the classroom with Ezra. Most of the students are already seated. Mills. I can't believe they decided not to cancel school. <laughs> Didn't cancel school. That is totally badass. Oh my god. <laughs> Ezra. I know what you mean. Mills. Yeah, maybe they will put a camera in the girls' powder room. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Catherine enters. And sits at a desk in the backyard back trying to avoid Ezra and Mills. Mills. Hey, what do you know? There is Catherine. <laughs> of course there's Catherine. She's in their class. Uh, Mil Ezra. Shut up, Mills. Mills. Hey, Catherine. Fancy meeting you here. Catherine ignores Mills. The teacher enters. Teacher. Okay. I don't want to have to be here anymore than any of you. So let's have a good session today, okay? Mills. <laughs> Whatever's clever, dude. Oh, he stole my catchphrase. Teacher. Thank you, Mills. Now, I know someone in this room knows the answer. It is question number 16 on the quiz from Friday. We were going to go over it, but we were intrigued by the state police. Interrupted by the state police. I'm sure you all forgot. Ezra. Okay. Teacher. Ezra, you seem to want to talk today. Name the primary source for rock and roll. <laughs> this is not a class, man. Name the primary source for rock and roll. I figured I'd make it a little fun since it is a history class after all. Bullshit. Ice cream bullshit. How about I didn't pay attention in history and therefore couldn't write an actual history class, so I just decided to make it the history on rock and roll, even though no history teacher in their right mind, at least in the public school system I went to, would possibly use that. Mills to Ezra. Do you notice how all of the instructors call you, call you, call on you, dude? Ezra. Yeah, I do. To teacher. It was the rhythm and blues, was it not? Teacher, please explain. Ezra. Are you sure that would be safe? Teacher, just do it. Mills to another student. Watch this. So I. Before I start this next uh, 
bit of uh, dialogue from Ezra. I tried to paint him as this really intelligent person who would ramble on intellectually about various things. And I did that earlier during the phone call where he rambled on about marriage. And uh, the writing process for the script is starting to come back to me as I read it. And so uh, here's his, his, his bit for, uh, to the teacher. Well, rock and roll's first superstar was indeed, as you all might know, is Elvis Presley. He introduced a sexual suggestiveness that totally made adults want to ban this form of music that the adult society thought of as a gift from Lucifer. However, it did not work at all. This popular form of music became bigger during the 1960s. Some psychedelic acid rock came into the mainstream music system. The bands that made it popular in this area are bands like The Grateful Dead, Jefferson Airplane, and of course, we cannot ever forget my favorite band of all space and time. Oh, sidebar. I was so ignorant back then because space and time are pretty much the same thing. Uh, of all space and time, Pink Floyd. Then, in the early 70s, hard rock came into the new era. The pioneers of hard rock just happens to be Led Zeppelin. Would you like me to get into that? Teacher, no, Ezra. I think that was pretty clear. You know a lot about rock. Do you know anything about country? <gasps> da, 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 da. Oh, yeah, I wrote suspenseful chord. <gasps> I wrote suspenseful chord in the narrative. Interesting. I'm still, I still got a bit of not this wavelength going. Ezra, I could give it a try. Teacher, okay, who sang On the Road Again? <laughs> this is not a history class. What the hell? Ezra, is it that guy from who looks like Santana? <laughs> Mills, why don't you do a demo for us on one of those cool acid rock tunes you speak of? Ezra Floyd? Mills, I dare you. Ezra, you better back me up. Mills, whatever, just do it now. Ezra, okay. Ezra stands up. Ezra, hey, teacher. I don't think we need any education. Teacher, good, sit down. Mills, singing. We don't need no education. Ezra, da 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 Mills, we don't need no thought control. Ezra, no Dr. Kassab in the classroom. Bill, uh, Bill, Mills, teachers, leave them kids alone. Class, except Catherine. Hey, teacher, leave us alone. Teacher, that's enough. Cut to interior, corridor day. So they were singing Pink Floyd. I tried to not do the melody to avoid, you know, bullshit. Uh, legal bullshit. Because these, 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 these fuckers will come after you for whatever they feel like. Interior quarter day. Catherine walks down the hall with Anne, one of her best friends. Anne, I heard what Ezzie and Mills did today. Catherine, they do a lot of stuff every day. Anne, it was something along the lines of getting all the class except for you and two others sent out of class for singing another brick too. Catherine, you see, that's only something that a mentally ill person would do. Mills sneaks up behind them. Mills, hello ladies. Catherine, shocked. Don't do that. Why is Catherine so shocked? Mills, oh, come on, why not? 
Anne because she thinks the next time it could be Ezra out to kill her. Mills, so you're still worried about him, huh? Anne, yes, yeah, she is. Catherine, thank you, Anne, but I can speak for myself. Mills, maybe you're just the fucking nut. Catherine, everyone knows that that's the last thing I am. Mills, who the hell do you think you are? Catherine, better than that obsessed friend of yours. Mills, I think you're the fucking sick one. All, <laughs> all he wanted was a date. Is this your way to turn him down? You should have just called him a loser and got, got it over with. At least he would have felt better about himself. <laughs> I don't think he would have felt better about himself by being called a loser. Catherine to Anne. If I date other guys, do you think he'll kill them? Cut to interior Catherine's house night. Catherine and her father, Jeff, are talking in the kitchen while the other family members, Kathleen and Megan, are just sitting around. Jeff. Okay. If you are so worried about this Ezra person, then I will hire a private investigator to check him out. Catherine. Oh, would you please? Jeff. I bet he won't find anything. Catherine. I've been getting a, I've been getting too much shit for this anyway. Jeff. Yeah, well, if he is not stalking you or anything like that, then you are paying me back for getting this guy. Oh, so the father's going to bill his daughter for protecting her. <laughs> That's so badass. Catherine, oh, thank you, Daddy. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Cut to interior Ezra's room night. And uh, I guess they're back from lunch because the hammering is starting again. Oh, well. Interior Ezra's, Ezra's room night. Brandy storms into Ezra's room and slams the door shut. Ezra, Brandy, how ladylike for you to knock. Because <laughs> it's sarcasm. Brandy, hello, Ezra. Listen to me now. You are really scaring the shit out of Catherine. She's my friend. You got that? Ezra, well, guess what? Brandy, what? Ezra, I didn't do anything. So, ha. Huh. Brandy. Bullshit. She's one of my best friends. Leave her alone. Do you understand me, Ezra? Leave, woman. Brandy, you listen to me. Ezra, no. Brandy. I'm warning you, Ezra. Ezra. Oh, I'm fucking scared of you, you piece of shit. You're just a bitch. <laughs> Brandy, call me that one more time. Ezra, get out, you fucking hose head. Oh, hose head. I love that term. Cut to interior of the police station night. The sheriff and a police officer talk in the sheriff's office. Sheriff, what have we got so far? Officer, not much. Sheriff, are there any connections between these murders? Officer, yeah, there is a few. <laughs> Sheriff, what are they? Soline Bain. <laughs> oh, the officer says Soline Bain. <laughs> she was the first kill that started this whole mess. She was a waitress at this bar and a senior in high school, sliced across the chest with a sword. It was done while she was slapping on some makeup in the powder room. <laughs> Sheriff, that's horrible. Officer, next was Lisa Green. She was found dead on Area Road, just outside the corner from the spar. A waitress as well. She died the same way. Oh, so I'm, I'm knocking off all these waitresses. That's awesome. Uh, pff, 
from a storytelling standpoint, not in reality. Uh, the sheriff <laughs> killed the same way. <laughs> so the officer says she died the same way, and then the sheriff confirms killed the same way. That's bad writing, people. That's bad writing. Officer. She had her shirt ripped open. A few minutes later, Francis Serling was found boiled in the lobster monster. Sheriff. Well, that's why we called it the lobster monster. I forgot about that. Sheriff. What the hell is the lobster monster? Officer. It is a human-sized electronic pot used for boiling large amounts of lobsters. He must have had a fight with the killer. Sheriff. Why is that? Officer. The sword that was used was found in pieces all over the floor and, and countertop. The grease from the friolators were all ignited by a lit lantern that must have been thrown in, thrown in them. The whole back side of the kitchen is black. I would have said, today I would have, wrote, I would have written blackened. That way we know it happened. Some, some, a little bit of linguistic choice changes in my later years. Sheriff, what about Joe? Officer, Joanna Hart is still missing. Sheriff, did you ask around? Officer, yeah, and no one has seen her at all. Dissolve, exterior, lobster boat, Dave. As a, as a lobsterman, I know what's going to happen here because I've, I've mined this scene for other projects. Uh, as a lobsterman starts hauling up the first trap of the morning, he sees a rainbow-colored figure stuffed in one of his traps. Lobsterman, what the hell is that? The trap finally... Oh... Oh, he hauled, he's hauling the first trap of the morning. So he hasn't hauled any more traps that day. Then he sees a rainbow-colored figure stuffed in, in, in the trap. Lobsterman, what the hell is that? We know what that is. The trap finally breaks through the surface of the water. In shock, the lobsterman lets go of the lever, and the trap just hovers above the water. The lobsterman starts throwing up over the side of the over the side at the sight of Joanna's decaying body stuffed in his trap. So he just starts throwing up. <laughs> Cut to exterior of the back deck of the spar day. Ezra Mills, Jeff, and Jeff's wife Kathleen with the baby Johnny. So there's a baby named Johnny. Is on the empty deck talking. Yes, Johnny was a baby back then. Mills. I'm surprised that they haven't canceled the senior prom yet. <laughs> so they still haven't canceled school, and now they're not canceling any of the events where teens are assuredly going to be traveling at night. Dumb authority figures in this town. Uh, Ezra. Yeah, I know. How the hell are people still still so passive? Because I wrote it when I was young. Jeff. So Ezra, my daughter says you have a thing for her. <laughs> Kathleen, what? Is that true? Ezra, yeah, well, sort of. Mills, why don't we just discuss it? Ezra, hey, it doesn't bother me any. Jeff, why don't you guys get back in the kitchen and go back to work? Mills, because I'm on the clock. Kathleen. I think that's what he is saying to Jeff. To Jeff. Kathleen to Jeff. What are you letting them... Why are you letting them hang out while they're punched in anyway? Jeff, because I'm kind of that way. Kathleen, I worry about you. Jeff, 
No need to worry about me. Lights a cigarette. I'm just perfect. Kathleen, you have to lay off those things. Mills, yeah, Jeff, lay off those things. Jeff, did you forget who your boss is here? Ezra, no, but I have your Led Zeppelin bootlegs, so don't get tough. Jeff, oh, yeah. When do you plan to give those back? Mills, when he... Jeff, I don't believe that I was talking to you unless by any chance your best friend gave you my records. Ezra, I'll give them back to you tonight on the beach. Jeff, fine. The sheriff walks onto the deck from the inside of the restaurant. Jeff, hello, sheriff. What's the good word there? Sheriff, I'm afraid that it's not good at all. Mills, what's the problem? Joanna, we finally found Joanna. Unfortunately, she was stuffed in one of the lobster men McVeigh's lobster traps. Kathleen covers her mouth and takes a breath in. <gasps> that was me portraying Kathleen. <gasps> or it's my... It's my <gasps> Jeff. Oh my god. Mills. What kind of sick fuck would do that? Ezra. That's sick as shit. Sheriff. You're telling me? He spent a half an hour throwing up his breakfast before he came to tell you. <laughs> he threw up for a half hour. The crew spent two hours trying to get her body out of it in a whole piece. So she was stuffed. She wasn't even cut up. She was stuffed in whole. It must have been one of those big lobster traps. Both her legs and her arms fell off. It was disgusting. <laughs> Mills, no shit. Jeff, did McVeigh take the day off? Sheriff, damn right. He is packing up his family and is moving to Gray to take up farming. <laughs> He pulls up a dead body and decides to move to Gray and farm. <laughs> Ezra, it was never like this, you know, <laughs> Sheriff. <laughs> Not in this lifetime. Jeff, is that all the news you came to tell us? Mills, no. Sheriff, shut the fuck up. Mills, ouch. So Mills, Mills is kind of a goofball who uh, all the adults don't generally respect or like. Sheriff, are you still having the beginning that beginning of the summer get together, Jeff? Yeah, it's after the prom tomorrow night. Sheriff, I've pretty much convinced everyone on the island to go. I figured it was the safest place to be with other people around. Kathleen, but so oh, so I'm rationalizing why the town hasn't been shut down, huh? I because maybe I've sensed that it was a silly decision. Kathleen. But Celine got killed in her, her own school. Sheriff, I think we are well aware of that. We don't. Who's that? Who? Uh, Ezra, who's that? Sheriff, who? Ezra, we. Sheriff, sorry. The other deputies and I are convinced that the one who is killing these people wouldn't make another move with a crowd of people around. The powder room was, an empty, was empty when Celine was killed. Cut to exterior of the beach night. There are cars parked all around the beach in a neat order. People are chilling out and having a good time. Two cars pull up into spaces next to each other. <gasps> I know why I wrote that. I know. It's not just description, people. It's uh. It's hacking. It's I 
hacking the brain that once was. So I know that two cars pulling up into spaces next to each other came from me seeing the trailer for Swingers and really liking the shot where the cars simultaneously park at the same time. Even though I don't like the movie, I remember the trailer and I remember that shot and I wrote it into my script. Mills and Ezra get out of the car. Anne and some of her friends get out of the get out of the other. <sighs> and hey, Ezzy. Ezra, there's a pile there's a pie number there is a pie number of people from the Long Island Society of Shitheads out on this dark but bright moonlit night. What the fuck? Ezra, there is a pie number of people from the Long Island Society of Shitheads out on this dark but bright moonlit night. And, yeah, more than I predicted. Mills, well, your predictions are wrong, Missy. And, well, I can tell... I could see that this is more likely for a killer to be out tonight. Ezra, suck it. And maybe just a little bit later. <laughs> she says suck it. She says later. <laughs> Mills, who are you chilling with tonight? Can't be these losers. Some of Ann's friends who are getting out of the car yell profanity at Mills. And watch it, Mills. They'll start walking up walking down the beach. Ezra taps Mills on the shoulder and points to a group of people at the top of the beach. Mills, out of all these campfires and groups here, you chose that group to steal from? Ezra, I see Fosters. Mills, to Anne. Ezra and I are going up there. See you later. Anne, I'll be on the other end of the beach where Brandy and Catherine are. Mills, Catherine, you say? Ezra, shut up, Mills. They walk up to a group of people. A boombox is pounding on some classic rock and roll tunes. Pounding on some classic rock and roll tunes. Mills, I do believe that this is one of your psychedelic acid rock bands playing, is it not? Ezra, you're right. Oh, look what I've spotted. A fast zoom in on a pyramid stack of coolers. Two steel tap kegs. Two steel tapped kegs sit on both sides of the pyramid. I think I know what this is supposed to look like, but this is a really bad description. Ezra, brew, Mills, damn right. They walk over and open one of the coolers. Mills and Ezra start throwing full beer bottles in their pockets. When they cannot put any more in, they start walking to the other side of the beach. While drinking one of the beers, on the way, of course. Mills. So what do you want to do? Ezra. Well, there are plenty of clicks on this beach tonight. Mills. So what? Ezra. I plan to visit all tonight. <sighs> I'm so disappointed in myself sometimes, guys. Mills. So where do you wish to start? Ezra. I don't know. Where do you want to go? Mills. Catherine. Ezra. No, Mills. Mills. Come on, Ezzy. Mills starts skipping along the beach, acting like a complete fool with a beer in his hand. Ezra to himself. Sober fucking fool. Ezra starts singing out loud nonsense words. Most likely a corny love song from the 50s. Ezra. Mills, come, come on. Ezra runs after him. Cut to exterior. Another campfire night. On a secluded part of the beach, Catherine Brandy... And Anne 
Catherine Brandy Ann and some other girls sit around a campfire talking. Mills interrupts them by jumping over the over their fire and landing next to Ann. Ann, have a seat. Mills sits down next to Ann. Ann, glad you could join us. Catherine, we are? Brandy, what do you guys want? Ezra, I followed him. Mills, I don't know about Ezra here, but I just want to chill with the ladies. Ann, what an excellent idea. Have a seat, Ezra. Ezra sits down on the other side of Ann next to Catherine. Ann, we just started telling spooky stories. Kind of a corny word for it all. Mills, scare me, please. <laughs> Brandy, you couldn't take the scare if you tried. Mills, is that so? Okay, tell me one. Just one. I'll get nightmares. Ann, does anyone want to hear one of my stories? Brandy, do we have a choice? Ann, no. Then just tell it already. Uh, Catherine, just, just, tell it, just tell it already. Catherine's kind of whiny. I don't know what Ezra saw in her. Mills, whispering to Ezra, you want that bitch. You want that bitch. You want that bitch. That's what Mills is whispering. He's whispering, you want that bitch. Ezra, shut up. And, okay, here it is. My friend who lives up in Orono, she goes to school there. This happened to one of her friends last fall. Brandy, just say it. And there is this girl who lives by herself in a one-floor house, okay? Dissolved to interior living room night. The story that Anne tells is what is supposed to be seen on the screen. Our heroes are off screen as they talk. And she had a big picture window in her living room. Then she had a big screen television in front of the window. See what I'm saying? Brandy, yeah, yeah. And, okay, well, she was sitting on her couch one night watching the television when she notices a guy standing outside looking in at her from the other side of the picture window. So she got on the phone with the cops and the operator on the other end told her that a silent patrol officer would take a swing by and check out check the area out. Silent patrol officer. I didn't even know I don't remember using that term ever. The operator would call back to tell her if the officer saw anything. So she hung up and waited for ten minutes. The guy staring at her never left. Then we saw the headlights of the cop car pull up in the driveway. The phone rang, and when she answered it, the operator told her that the cop didn't see anything there. No one in her yard at all. So that's when she knew. Ezra, knew what? And she leaned over and shut out the light. The guy in the window disappeared. The guy was behind her the whole time. But she ended up dying of a heart attack just from the surprise. <gasps> Mills. You're kidding, right? And, oh, no, it's it's all real, brother. Cut to exterior, the beach, fire, night. The teenagers are still gathered around the campfire. Ezra, Mills and I have to get going. We have other people to visit. And, pity, I have so many more interesting stories to tell you. Mills, see you later, and everyone else here. Ezra and Mills get up and walk away into the darkness. Cut to exterior, end of the beach, night. Ezra and Mills arrived to the point on the beach where no one was. 
They sit themselves on a big rock. Mills. This town is way out of control, dude. Ezra. You know when it all started, right? Mills. No. Ezra. I was in elementary school. It was before you moved here. Mills. What, what did it... What did it to this place? I don't know what that means. Ezra. Ignorance. Mills. Please explain. Ezra. The selectmen have always been queer on the island. <laughs> queer. Ezra. The, the selectmen have always been queer on the island. or So that's what I was told, Mills. So are you <laughs> going to get to the fucking point or what, Ezra? They voted to turn him to turn this island into one big beach all the way around. So the Mills, too bad they never finished the job. Ezra yelling out towards the ocean. Yeah, because these fucks didn't have enough money and money to finish the job. <laughs> they got a quarter of the way that stopped. Mills yelling out towards the ocean. Yeah, what Ezra said. Ezra. It was a stupid idea anyway. The increased size of the beach attracted all kinds of people, even the sick ones. They were forced to put up a high school on the island, and here it is. Just one big backdrop. Well, sidebar. I was really thinking visually about using visual effects to retool how my hometown looked on film. And I guess I was trying to create a backstory for some of the changes I wanted to make visually. Mills throws a can of beer in the water and takes another one out of his fleece pocket and opens it and starts chugging it. So it's like a litter bug. Mills, well, what now? Ezra stands and turns back towards the beach. Ezra, see ya, man. Mills, hey, where are you going? Ezra, home, I'm tired. Mills, come on, dude. I gotta sit and listen to those chicks ghost stories all night if you leave. Ezra, sorry, see you, dude. Mills, oh man. Cut to exterior, the middle part of the beach at night. Ezra is walking across the beach when he meets up with Jeff, who is who has a joint in one hand and a beer in the other. Jeff, do you have my records? Ezra, they're in the back of seat of Mills' car in a Shaw's bag. Jeff, I'll pick that up later. Are you leaving? Ezra. Yeah, I'm a little tired. Jeff, that sucks. Mills is still here, right, Ezra? Yeah, he's with the girls on the other side. Jeff, okay, cool, see ya. Ezra, peace out. Oh, I said peace out. Jeff, what the hell is that supposed to mean? Ezra, a piece fell out of the jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> Jeff, huh? <laughs> what the fuck? Cut to exterior, end of beach night. Mills finishes off his last beer and starts walking back across the beach. Cut to exterior, a part of the beach night. Jeff meets meets up with Mills, who is walking to his car. Jeff, don't tell me you, you're leaving to Mills. Ezra just left. I think I'm going to crash as well. Oh, come on. Oh, Jeff says, oh, come on. I just got here and everyone is leaving. Jeff is, Jeff is a fucking adult and wants to hang out with teenagers. Mills, it's it's not much of, of a party. Everyone here is only here because they are scared. Jeff, yeah, I know. Mills, do you want the do you want your records? Jeff, oh, I forgot about them. Ever since Ezra just talked to me about them, what the fuck, dude? 
Mills, I'll put them in your car for you. Is that fine? Jeff, oh, yeah, yeah, it's cool. Mills, okay, I'll catch you later. Probably after the prom, huh? Jeff, most likely, yeah. Mills, see you later. Mills walks into the darkness. Jeff continues walking across the beach. Cut to exterior, girls campfire night. Jeff, evening, ladies. Catherine, dad, what the hell are you doing here? Jeff, making sure that there's no booze being passed around here tonight. Catherine, just get away from here. Jeff, what's the problem? Brandy, well, let's see here. You're, you moron. You are her ancient father, and you want to drink and chill with us. Jeff, so there is booze here. So there is booze here. And Jeff, I really think you, that you have issues. Jeff, fine, I'll leave. Goodbye, everybody. It was so nice to know that I was loved. So, Catherine, shut up. Jeff walks into the darkness where Ezra and Mills came from. And what a nice guy. Catherine, shut up. Brandy, he is a little strange, I think. Catherine, he's better off with your nutty brother. Brandy, true. They all listen to nothing but the classic rock. Catherine, or a psychedelic acid rock. And there is nothing wrong with acid rock. A cloaked figure jumps out of the darkness behind Anne. Catherine, oh my God, Anne. Anne, what's the matter? She turns and sees the person in the cloaked figure over her with a sickle in hand. Also, so it looks kind of like death at this point. She is wide-eyed, but before she could scream, the sickle comes down her face, on her face. All the rest of the girls run away screaming. Cut to interior police station, morning. Brandy and Catherine are sitting in the sheriff's office looking at the pictures of family members and the awards and trophies that decorate the room. The sheriff is sitting at his desk just looking at Karen. Why would they have awards and trophies at a small rink-a-dink sheriff station? Catherine, Catherine says, don't you, don't you find it just a little weird that after Ezra left, a few minutes later, a hooded person comes running out of nowhere and kills one of the one of my best friends, Sheriff. I do understand where you're coming from. However, I'm sorry. It's just not enough to even question him about it. Well, oh my God, I had no idea of police procedures. You can question anybody about anything, pretty much. Brandy, well, I've narrowed it down to three people. And for their safety, in case they didn't do it, I've thought of reasons to why they wouldn't be able to do anything like this. Sheriff, I'm listening. Brandy, it's either Ezra, who is too gutless to do this, Mills, who is too friendly with any of us anyway, or Jeff, who is too damn old. So Jeff's too old to do it. Just a sidebar. Jeff's too old to do it. Mills is too friendly. And Ezra is too gutless. <laughs> According to Brandy, Ezra's sister. Catherine. What are you talking about? My dad didn't do this. Brandy. So, you talk about my brother as if he is a killer. I have every right to talk about your father. How is a is a, is the loony? Ah, oh, so she's defending her brother. That's nice. Catherine. Oh yeah, whatever. Jeff and a man in a suit enter the office. Jeff. Good morning, sheriff. Sheriff, have a seat. Jeff. Would you ladies mind leaving? Catherine. Sure. Brandy and Catherine get up and leave, slamming the door behind him. Jeff sits down in one of the chairs in front of the sheriff's desk. The other man remains standing in the doorway. Jeff, Sheriff, this man with me came here on the early ferry this morning. He's a private detective. 
Robert Page, Sheriff. Hello, Robert. Robert nods his head and up and down. Jeff, I hired him to check some people out for me. Would you like to hear it? Sheriff, yes, please tell me about it. Cut to exterior. Mills car, day. The car drives along a tar road with forest on both sides of the road. Cut to interior. Mills car, day. Ezra is driving while Mills is the pa passenger side in the passenger seat trying to fix the car stereo. Ezra, so what happened last night? Mills, I'm not totally sure. I wasn't there. Your sister was. Ask her about it. Ezra, I know she wasn't there, but she never came home last night. Mills, oh, never mind then. Cut to exterior. Mills' car, day. The car pulls onto a dirt road. Then after a minute, turns off the dirt road and starts down a hill. They are now driving slowly through a large boatyard filled with lobster, lobster and fishing boats. In the background, a boat is seen being launched into the water but tips over and is floating upside down. Well, there's some serious production value needed there. Some profanity from the workers are heard as they try to recover the boat but fail. It sinks. Cut to interior Mills car day. The car stops in front of a beaten-up pleasure boat. Ezra and Mills get out of the car and climb a ladder that is attached to the side to get into the boat. Them getting out of the car and into the boat is done in one pan with a crane shot. Cut to interior, the bow of the boat day. Ezra and Mills sit down in some chairs. Mills, so what do you need from here? Ezra. I need the refrigerator. Puts his hand on the small refrigerator. My parents are jealous of that I'm going to senior to the senior prom tonight. <laughs> Why would his parents be jealous of that? Mills. So what is the problem? Ezra. They want to have it with them at the spa tonight so that they don't have to buy their own drinks. Mills. What an excellent idea. Just hide it under the table, huh? Yeah. Ezra, yeah. Oh my god, this is so stupid. Exterior, cut to exterior island high school night. Mills and Ezra are dressed up in tuxedos. Cut to interior dance hall night. The dance hall is filled with high school seniors and is very loud with talking and music. Mills and Ezra are scoping out the place. Ezra, loud music. Mills, yeah, I know. Ezra, I wonder where Catherine is. Mills, I'll tell you what. Look for her. Ask her for the next dance. I'll set everything up for you. Ezra, remember, her favorite song is Raining on the Sky. Mills, who is the artist? Ezra, some band called Naked. Mills, okay, I've heard of them. Look for her pr really quick. Mills walks into a... Also, I just realized by reading this that Catherine is a compound character from a few different people. Uh, uh, boom. It just hit me. Mills walks into a crowd of people that are gathered around a disc jockey. Ezra walks around looking for Catherine. He spots her sitting with a friend. They don't seem to be talking much. Cut to interior dance, part of the dance hall night. Catherine is sitting in a seat with her head down. Her friend is just kind of sitting there, not paying any attention to anything. Ezra walks up to the two, a little surprised with himself that he is doing this. Ezra, hello, Catherine. Catherine looks up at him. Catherine, hi, uh, Ezzy. Ezra, 
Would it bother you if I asked you for the next dance? Catherine, it wouldn't be a bother. Oh, so she's having a change of heart for no apparent reason whatsoever. Ezra, then would you dance with me to the next song? Catherine, I'm not so sure about if I want to. Ezra, come on. It's a dance and you're sitting here. She's really conflicting. It's a dance and you're just sitting here. Catherine, well, maybe. Ezra, as my apologies to my recent misunderstanding, to any recent misunderstandings. She smiles at him. He's not even responsible for these misunderstandings. She's just a, being judgmental. Uh, anyway, Catherine, okay, sure. Ezra, really? Catherine, yeah. She stands up and he takes her hand and guides her to the dance floor. The camera stays on her friend who is just sitting there alone now. A young man approaches her. Young man, hey, wallflower, want to dance? Friend, no. She kicks the person between the legs. <laughs> he was flying off screen. <laughs> Unnecessary stunt. Uh, a guy asks a girl to dance. She kicks him in the balls and he flies out across the screen. <laughs> Cut to interior of the dance floor night. Raining on the sky starts playing and Ezra and Catherine start dancing. Catherine, how did you know? Ezra, know what? Catherine, that this is my favorite song. Ezra, do you really want to know? Catherine, please. Ezra. <gasps> oh my God. So this is another one of Ezra's bit sort of intellectual ramblings. And this next bit wasn't even written by me. I needed a, an intellectual rambling that meant nothing. And so I asked one of my high school ed techs to write something, any random thing, and I inserted it here. So I can't take credit for it, but I could take credit for editing it and retooling it into a piece of dialogue for Ezra. Here's what it says. I find it totally unacceptable that a premonition such as yours would become infallible, but however socially destructive in the in Congress depths of the behemoth of the underworld. A young woman, and then that's it. And then I wrote, a young woman such as yourself is bound to be uncontrollable to the point of expulsion, where we will find that all of humanity's society is a vicious creature who evolved from within the dimension of Eden, where this place is only considered a pie number. What the fuck is up with this pie number shit? Do you see what I'm saying, Catherine? Catherine. No, I don't. Of course, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. Now, how did you know that this was my favorite song? Ezra. Brandy. Catherine. Oh, okay. So you had a plan? Ezra. No, I felt bewildered and perplexed by the facts of the situation that I have sheepishly checkered any relationship that I could have possibly obtained with your presence. Catherine. Oh, okay. Ezra. Yeah. Yeah? Catherine. Goodbye, Ezra. She breaks free of their dance and walks back to her friend. Ezra. What did I say? <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering the same fucking thing. Ezra walks off the dance floor. It's cut to exterior high school night. Ezra walks out of the building and meets up with Mills. Mills. Song is not over yet. How did it go? Ezra. I made a fool of myself. Mills. It was expected. Ezra, fuck you. Mills. Well, what did you say? Ezra, I can't remember. Mills, sum up. Ezra, I'll try my best. I keep uh, off. I keep of forgot. 
But I kind of forgot. Oh, I kind of forgot. It's supposed to be. Mills. I want to hear it. Ezra. Okay, I told him that on the humid day of considerations, after all who have once loved and consulted and eviscerated that the external contemplating arguments of the space-time continuum, we would unite once again in the houses of the holy. Uh, houses of the holy, Led Zeppelin. Therefore, exterminating the momentary lapse of reason, <laughs> Pink Floyd reference, that has been introduced to our cultivating society. So that's another one of Ezra's stupid things that supposed to sound intellectual but doesn't. I'm going to read it one more time. Okay. I told her that one of the, that on the human day of considerations, after all who have once loved and consulted and eviscerated, that the external con contemplating arguments of the space-time continuum we would unite once again in the houses of the holy, therefore eliminating the momentary lapse of reason that has been introduced to our cultivating society. Mills. I love it when you do that. Ezra. I'm going to the spa. Mills. I'm going to go home and change first. Ezra. Yeah, I guess I will too. Mills. I hate dressing up anyway. Ezra. I'll see you there soon. They part in two different directions. <coughs> Cut two. Interior. The dance hall. Night. People are dancing and having a good time. After a few minutes, the cloaked figure enters with a staff that has a large sickle on both ends. Oh my god, I know what this is inspired by. The cloaked figure runs across the dance floor with the sickle randomly shoving the blades into the people's faces. As he runs across people's as he runs across people start screaming and falling to the floor dead the cloaked figure runs out through another door at the back the camera pans the room showing the huge amount of people that were just killed alright so I'm having trouble reading because I didn't use commas <laughs> so that, that should explain my pacing here but this scene was inspired by the Phantom Menace uh, Darth Maul reveal Dun, dun. And so that's why the cloaked figure has two sickles on each end of this of the staff. Wipe exterior. Oh yeah, I even did a Star Wars wipe. Oh my god. Exterior the star the spar night. Spar is all lit up as it usually is with neon lights that decorate the front and a large neon sign on the roof that faces towards the ocean that says the spar. Ezra walks into the building as two people are leaving. Music can be heard coming out of the building. Cut to interior of the spar night. Ezra looks around, then approaches Kathleen and Jeff. Kathleen. So far, everyone is doing fine. All they can talk about are the, are the murders. Jeff. Yeah, I've overheard most of them. I hope that more that the more they drink, the more they forget to bring it up. Kathleen, are you just going to stay here and hang out all night? Jeff, I'll just sit here at the bar and keep Brandy company. She's such a good bartender, you know. Brandy, serving drinks from behind the bar. Thanks, Jeff. Ezra, hey, Brandy. Brandy. You wish, Ezra. Sorry. 
I'm trying to figure out if I'm missing something here, but I think I'm just I think I was just kind of a, a shoddy writer back then. Uh, Ezra, hey Brandy, Brandy, you wish Ezra Kathleen sounds good. Too bad I have to watch little Johnny. Jeff. I'd stay with you, but Kathleen, don't worry about it. Take care of take care at the bar. It's what you're good at. Besides, Jeff. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye now. <laughs> Bye-bye now. Kathleen leaves the restaurant. Mills enters as she is leaving. He says hi to her and then walks over to the bar where Ezra and Jeff are sitting. Mills. What's up, Jeff? Jeff, not much. Ezra. That's not what it looks like to me. Jeff. It's an illusion that I couldn't that I couldn't present. Robert enters from the back deck with a glass of beer in hand. Robert. Jeff, Rob, Jeff, Robert, Ezra, and Mills. This is a good friend of mine, Robert. Ezra and Mills is a good friend of mine. His name is Robert Page. Robert, these are the two best employees here. Brandy, fuck you, Jeff. Jeff, besides Brandy, of course. Robert, shaking his hand, shaking their hands. Nice to meet you. So, Jeff, when do you want to chat about the, you know, Jeff? Oh, a little later. I'll see you on the porch before I take the ladies home. Mills, who are you talking? Who are you taking home? Jeff, by orders of the sheriff, I have to give the waitresses a ride home. Ezra, are you going to use the fire truck? Jeff, if it starts, I don't know. It's pretty old. Robert, I'll see you later. Jeff, see you in a bit. Uh, sidebar at, at the spar, there used to be a, an old-fashioned fire truck from the from the mid twentieth century parked outside but i don't know if it worked so i was just kind of including it in the script because it was an asset that would have been available had i been able to make the film back then robert cuts through the dining room and gets back on out onto the porch jeff you guys are not supposed to be sitting at the bar right now mills so what ezra who cares jeff not me mills i gotta take a leak ezra hey jeff considered extending the porch Jeff, I thought about it. Next spring's project. Mills, the bathroom looks like looks a little full. Jeff, I think I could extend it out over the water a little ways. Mills, I'm going to take a leak. Jeff and Ezra, then just go. Mills gets up and runs into the restroom. Brandy, oh sh shit, Jeff. We are out of cocktail straws. Jeff, you, you know where to find them. Brandy. Will you watch the bar for me? Jeff, sure. She leaves the bar area and walks outside. Cut to exterior under the deck night. So Brandy is now under the deck. She opens the door and walks in, trying to avoid the muddy ground. She approaches a box filled with a bunch of little boxes. She goes to reach for one of the small boxes until she notices a person in a cloaked in a cloak standing in front of her. The person in the cloak drops a handful of cocktail straws in front of her. Brandy. Shit. Brandy hears Jeff calling her name but ignores it. The person in the cloak picks up a steel bar off the ground and raises it raises it above his head and then comes down on her face over and over again. Shit, shit, shit. That's basically what it's like. Neat, neat, neat. Uh, she does not make a sound. She just falls to the ground and he keeps 
smashing her in the head. Fade out, cut to interior of this bar at night. Jeff sits drinking a whiskey and Coke, but who the hell from the audience is going to notice? <laughs> I wrote that in the narrative. Jeff sits drinking a whiskey and Coke, but who the hell from the audience is going to notice? A customer approaches the bar. I think, I think people would notice that, to be honest with you. Uh, customer. Hey, where is the bartender? Jeff. She is kind of tied up right now. She'll be back shortly. Mills enters and sits down next to Ezra. Mills. Ah, that felt good. Ezra. That's nice. They sit there at the bar for a few minutes. Jeff. Flustered. Frustrated. 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 But I wrote it as frustrated. Where the hell is she? Jeff gets off the bar stool and walks outside to find her. Cut to exterior under the deck night. Jeff enters and notices Brandy laying bloody and dead on the muddy ground. Jeff. Oh, shit. <laughs> Cut to exterior of the spar night. It is later and the spar is empty. Jeff, Ezra, Mills, and some waitresses remain sitting at the bar. Jeff turns and faces one of the girls. Jeff. Sure, I'll give you a ride home. Mills. Well, you have fun, Ezzy, and I will walk. Jeff. That's cool with me. Ladies, is the fire truck all right with you, all of you? Ezra. The fire truck? I thought it was broken down. Jeff. It's not anymore. Jeff and the ladies walk out of the front door. The ladies are all over him as they leave. Ezra. Let's get the hell out of here. Mills. Sure, I'll probably see you tomorrow night, right? Ezra, sure. Cut two. Exterior, the spar night. Jeff and the girls giggle as they walk out of the side of the restaurant where an old-fashioned fire truck is sitting. Jeff. The cab is in a small, is a little small, but I think no one minds having to squeeze in tightly. So I think Jeff might be a little a pervy. Uh, I'm picking that up based on his going to the beach to hang out with the girls and then this huh i don't remember writing that the girls giggle and everyone gets in the truck so the girls are all right with it though it seems jeff starts the truck and pulls it onto the road the figure in the cloak jumps onto the back of the truck just before the truck starts moving at a faster speed the figure in the cloak I, sh I should say the cloaked figure, but I wrote the figure in the cloak climbs up onto the horses, onto the hoses, and gets a hold of a truck hook on a wooden staff. Probably used to smash windows at one time. Huh. At one, at, as Jeff speeds, oh, fucking shit. As Jeff speeds along the same road that Lisa was killed on, the figure shoves the hook through the rear window and hooks Jeff in the neck. Blood hits the windshield of the truck and, steered off, and the truck is steered off a small cliff. The figure jumps off the truck. The truck rolls off the cliff and lands on the rocks by the water's edge and blows up into a fiery ball. So, today I would have added, I would have not only retooled this, but I would have also added the screaming of the girls. Uh, and then I would have wrote a fiery cinder. Anyway, cut to exterior, a road night. Ezra is walking on the road alone to go home. After a minute, Ezra stops and notices a man standing a few feet away from him. Ezra, Mills, is that you? Robert, it's Robert Page. Do you remember me? Ezra, yes, I do. What are you doing here? 
so the mysterious Robert Page has confronted Ezra. Ezra. Uh, oh, Robert. What do you think of doing here, <laughs> Ezra? What the fuck, man? Can't people just answer? Ezra, I don't know. A friend of Jeff's, I thought. Robert, no, Ezra. I was hired by Jeff to check up on you. Ezra, I don't know what you're talking about. Robert pulls out a handgun and points it at Ezra. <laughs> Robert starts walking towards Ezra. Ezra, what the hell are you going to do with that? Robert, I'm here to take you out, Ezra. <laughs> Ezra, what the fuck are you talking about? Robert, I was hired to get you to leave Catherine alone. <laughs> Ezra, I haven't done anything to her. Robert, too bad for you. Then I could have a reason then I could have a reason to kill you. Your future now lies within this barrel. <laughs> referring to gun. <laughs> I actually wrote referring to gun. Your future now lies within this barrel. <laughs> Ezra, fuck off, you prick. Ezra gets the Ezra kicks the gun out of Robert's hand and catches it and then shoots Robert three times. Three, three times in the head. Oh my god, that's awesome. He, he, he kicks the gun out, catches it in midair, and shoots him three times in the head without any practice or, or physical uh, capabilities whatsoever. We never once hint that he's capable of doing this. He just kicks it out of Robert's hand, catches the gun, and then shoots him three times in the head. That's pretty badass. We must be our hero. Ezra is now covered with Robert's blood. A female voice screams from the distance. Ezra turns to see Catherine running from the woods. Ezra runs after her and catches her a little further down the road. Catherine, don't touch me. Ezra, Catherine, I'm not a killer. Catherine, fuck you, I saw you. Ezra, okay, cross zoom. Interior at Catherine's house tonight. Catherine is tied up to a chair. <laughs> Catherine is tied up to a chair as Kathleen is as well. That's my sentence. No shitting. Catherine is tied up to a chair as Kathleen is as well. So Kathleen, Catherine and Kathleen are tied up to a chair. I should have just written that. Ezra is sitting on the end of Catherine's bed with the gun pointed at them. Ezra, I didn't want it, <laughs> I didn't want it to come to this since I have no trust in you fucking people. I just have the urge to kill you too. Both of you. Catherine, because you pissed me off. <laughs> Kathleen, well... Once I've done away with Catherine here, I figured I would have enough adrenaline pumping to kill you as well. <laughs> so I might as well. <laughs> Catherine points the gun at Kathleen and shoots her in the head once. He shot her first. <laughs> For no reason. Oh my God. Catherine is now covered with her mother's blood. <laughs> she, is start she starts crying. Oh my God. Catherine, please don't kill me. I'll give you anything you want, Ezra. Anything I want, you say? You couldn't give me what I want. You would feel emotion <laughs> emotionally violated and ruined as well. I may flipping out. I, I may be flipping out for no reason here, but you drove me to this, Katie. You drove me to this. Now, Katie, dot, 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 beat. There's a small beat. Listen to this for a second. I'm going to tell you about a dream that I had the other night. Now I, now I think it was some sort of premonition because now look at, look what has happened. You see, I was outside across the street from your house late at night. I had gathered a bunch of pebbles together to throw at your window to get your attention. And when I walked up onto the drive, 
was some floodlights turned on. Then I heard the electronic voice say over and over again the word intruder. Then, do you want to know what happened, Katie? A helicopter flew over with men in black suits jumping out. Then men in black suits and black face <laughs> painted black face paint popped right out of the bushes with shotguns. Can you believe that? And you know what, Katie? I looked closer at one of the men in the black suits, and one of them just happened to be Jeff. His mouth, he mouthed the words, stay away from my daughter. Catherine, why are you telling me this, Ezra? Because out of all the dreams that I ever had, Katie, this was the only one about you. And it's the only one where I can remember every single detail. You see what I'm saying? Ezra hears a tapping noise from the closet behind Catherine. Ezra, fee, fi, fo, fum. I smell Ezra walks over to the closet. Ezra, a little sister in her big sister's closet. Another one who is part of the family of scum. Ezra kicks the closet door open and sitting there is little Megan looking up at Ezra. Megan, why is Catherine crying? Ezra, well, my dearest me again <laughs> I, he says vegan as me again I must protest that she is not crying she's simply acting Megan for what Ezra a play Megan what kind of play Ezra a sad story Megan is it Romeo and Juliet Ezra stop asking so many goddamn questions Megan starts crying Catherine Megan go back to bed Megan leaves but doesn't close the door Ezra you should really treat your sister with more respect. Catherine, just get over with. Just get it over with. <laughs> she's, she's not even going to cry for her life. She's just like, just get it over with. <laughs> she doesn't want to talk to him. <laughs> she doesn't want She doesn't want to hear him talk, so she'd rather be murdered. <laughs> just get it over with. That's brilliant. Ezra, <laughs> I mean, really... This is how she is going to remember you. Catherine, stop, please. Ezra, you see, Katie, this is the time of our lives when everything is to be perfect, and it, this isn't perfect. Catherine, what are you talking about? <laughs> Ezra, walking around the room looking at the pictures. You made things really uneasy for me the past few days. More harsh. But all I wanted was a points gun at her goddamn date. <laughs> Suddenly, Catherine is shot. <laughs> but by an off-screen figure. He didn't shoot her. An off-screen figure shot her. Ezra, Mills, what a surprise. Mills standing in the doorway with a gun in hand. Mills, hey, what's up, Ezra? Mills throws the gun to the gun on the bed and holds his arms out. Ezra, I really admire you, Ezra. That's why I just cannot kill you. Ezra, you killed all those people? Mills, yeah, what a shame, huh? Ezra, what happens next? Mills, I can't go to jail. Ezra, you expect me to go for you? Mills, yes I do. I figured you could be the alternative for me getting into getting any of the penalties. And that would be the alternative than me killing you. Ezra, alternative? What alternative? Mills, you'll find out, Ezra. Mills runs away. Closing the doors behind him, Ezra picks up the gun off the bed and chases after Mills. Cut to exterior, Catherine's house night. Ezra opens the door and steps outside. He sees an off-screen figure and drops his gun. 
then holds up his hands. Two officers and the sheriff are holding shotguns at Ezra. The sheriff walks up to Ezra and slaps some handcuffs on his wrist. Sheriff, I'm sorry that it had to be you, son. Ezra, yeah, sure, so am I. Fade out, fade in, interior sheriff's office morning. The sheriff is sitting at the desk drinking coffee. He turns to look out the window. He sees a glimpse of Mills running into the forest. The sheriff turns back and continues drinking coffee. Then a panel around the sheriff until the camera is above the sheriff. A close-up of a newspaper clipping on his desk reveals the headline that says, The Alternative. The camera then zooms in on the clipping really fast. Everything is black now. The credits roll. The end. So, what happened? Mills was doing all these murders and started rumors uh, perpetuated by Catherine's douchebaggery uh, or airheadery that uh, you know that it was Ezra and it drove Ezra to the point where he just became that this allowed the authorities to pin pin it on Ezra while Mills got away with it so essentially Mills says I commit the murders but I don't do the time as an alternative you do the time but then there's this part where Ezra's like, alternative, what alternative? You'll find out, Ezra. <laughs> That's so weird to me. But um, I, don't, I really like this script. It's so bad, but so good. So good that it's so bad that it's good. Um, like, there's this part. You couldn't give me what I want. You would feel emotionally violated and ruined <laughs> if you gave me what I want. I mean, like, this, this, I don't think you guys understand, man. Like, if this was a movie, this would be one of those movies that's so bad that it's good. And I think that we should try to get this made, as is. Not rewriting with, you know, because I write scripts now that are much better written than this. Much more thought out and, and the character actions are rooted realistically in sort of the real world, but also in uh, continuity of those characters as developed ahead of time. And uh, here's my pitch. If y'all want to see this movie be made as is, you let me know, and maybe we can put together some, some kind of campaign to make this happen. Because I would love to see the alternative made as it was envisioned back then. And though I'm a better filmmaker today and I'm a better writer today by far, uh, I would make every effort to honor what I was trying to do. And basically what I was trying to do was a slasher. Uh, oh my God, it was Mills the whole time, but Ezra's getting, you know, the back end of it. Like I would, I would honor that. And I would honor also just kind of how badly done it would have been had I done it back then. And uh, I, I think we should try to do it, people. Uh, there's no market for it, but <laughs> doesn't mean it shouldn't be done. Anyway. That's one of those uh, old unproduced scripts that I wrote back in high school. And uh, let me know what you think. Let me know if uh, you think that this could be uh, an interesting project. There's a lot of, I mean, there's so many visual references to what I was into back then. Uh, obviously, the classic rock stuff. Some of the, some of the um, descriptions were clearly borrowed from the uh, films that I was watching back then, the late in the late '90s. And um, it's so evident that, I, and you know, I would have to honor all that if I were to make this movie. 
otherwise what would you know what would the point be anyway so uh, you know i know i started out talking about community filmmaking and this was a script intended to be made by people and i used a lot of real names except i i switched up their roles so lisa who was a high school student wasn't a high school student back then she was older she was probably in her 40s maybe late 30s uh, but wouldn't it have been funny if she had actually if somebody in that age range had actually played a high school student in an independent film you know and 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 using people of the actual age range so like if i were to cast this right i wouldn't be able to cast the people i base it on because they all have real world jobs they're not filmmakers so i would cast like for example lisa the high school student i wouldn't cast a high school student i would cast somebody who was lisa's age at that time so it makes it even more goofy makes it even more goofy it's perfect anyway uh let me know reach out to me and uh this podcast i, I know it's long and that it was kind of hard to listen to at times because honestly i i never used proper punctuation uh, or grammar on any of these initial descriptions and it took me a while to figure out the best ways to do that and uh, but I think the story's there and, and the humor definitely came across I, I was cracking up laughing last night and cracking up again today while reading it to you uh, man man what a throwback thanks everybody